You're listening to The Broken Meeple Show, a podcast that speaks passionately about board games for the benefit of those who play them. My name's Luke Hector, best known for The Broken Meeple YouTube channel, and I'm an everyday gamer just like you. And I'll be talking about reviews, top tens, and just about anything that connects me to board games, as long as I have a tea or coffee in hand, that is. So grab a cup, relax, and enjoy. And remember, it's only a game. Hi everybody, Luke Hector here, and this is, uh, what is this, the Sunday, the 20th of August, 23, I am back from my holiday, so thanks to everybody who wished me well there, I had a good time, I had a good reset, and I really did need the reset, uh, from work, from the blog, from life, from pretty much everything, because emotions are quite high when it comes to family matters lately, and it's, you know, it was... A week to celebrate the parents' golden anniversary, and a lot of us were there, like 14, 16, whatever, something, people of varying ages from their immediate family were there. We spent a week in the Lake District, and it was great. I mean, we, we got to hang out, we got to chat, we got to get stuff off our chests, we got to go out on walks. Well, I, I went out on a couple of walks, and some particularly good walks, I must admit. Uh, the one round Buttermere Lake and up the um, High Pike and... East Pike Crags or whatever they're called, you know, the Red Pike I think it is, you know, walking up there was a joy, even if I did knacker myself out in the process, but, you know, we got to eat out, we got to have barbecues, uh, you know, takeouts, play some games, it, it was just a very nice week, uh, and also got to visit a wildlife park, which I always like doing, so... It was just generally a good week, and it was hard to depart because you know when you see your family for you know for a week and you haven't seen a lot of them for so long, and everybody's getting older, it's like you know you your emotions are high and you don't want to leave. So it's it was quite tricky, but back to business as usual, I guess. I mean, I've been relaxing most of yesterday and today, uh, mainly unboxing a certain game, which I'll talk about soon. But yes, I got to get back to work on Monday. Not looking forward to that at all. <laughs> I mean, a week away from work, I'm just expecting a massive inbox full of stuff, loads of problems I got to deal with, and you know, I, I feel like Monday's going to be a bit of a slog. Well, actually, I think this week is just going to be a bit of a slog. But also on the blog side, I need to hurry up and get uh, a review done for Skulk Hollow and Mole Peak. I need to get uh, Maps of Mystera played, which is a game that uh, Sit Down Games sent me recently. Uh, Weird City Games have just sent me Leaf in the post. I need to take a look at that one. I need to obviously get the top 10 collaborations started because I've put the word out. I've got some responses back. I now need to get stuff arranged. But I also want to review a specific game, which I'll talk about in a minute. So, uh, yeah, busy, busy, busy. And that's not including the fact that around the corner, Essen is in the start of October. And, you know, Midgard is before that even. So I need to prepare for those two conventions. I need to see if I'm going to help out on an exhibitor stand. It would be good to maybe help out on an exhibitor stand for a day, uh, you know, to you know, demo some stuff, so I don't know whether Greater Than Games is going to want my help again for Sentinels in the Multiverse, or whether a different publisher would like to um, have me on to teach some of their games, it'd be interesting, so, yeah, lots to get done, and thankfully I don't have to record the top 100 at this point, if I had to do the top 100 in September, I think I would literally burn out and die, it just would not happen, so the, the decision to delay it until next January was definitely a good one. So, you know, that would be good to do that in a quieter period. But other than that, you know, what have we got for uh, in terms of... Whoa, hang on, I want to... Let's, let's get a better view than that one. Right. So in terms of the blog uh, views, very quickly, uh, thanks to everybody who has been watching the content whilst I've been away. I put out a review for rebuilding, rebuilding Seattle and Barcelona. Uh, rebuilding Seattle has not been as popular, but Barcelona got some good traction, so thanks for that. And also before then, I was able to put up the What I Played for July, which has been very popular. And of course, certain other reviews, like particularly Expeditions, has been very popular alongside the top 10 X and Right games, which still could be better, but still not bad. And even the best and worst of the year so far is still, has done very well. 13,700 views and 96.7% like ratio. That was 
A very good one. In fact, the like ratio has been pretty solid across the board. I mean, 100% for the last one, 100% uh, for Race of the Raft, 99.4 for July. Um, you know, I mean, what's gone lower to 90s? Uh, Expeditions, which is no surprise, and the last podcast episode where I talked about the Dice Tower Awards. So, yeah, no surprise that those would probably have lower like ratios, although it's still in the 90s. What do I care? So, yeah, things pretty good on that blog front, but of course... More to come, including a sponsored video from the World Series of Board Games. I've already recorded it, I now need to edit it, I'll send it out this week. And basically it's where I go through very quickly all 16 games that are in the World Series of Board Games uh, roster for their main tournament setting and give my thoughts as to whether I like or dislike the games. So it's basically a quick, well I say quick, it's probably going to be a good 20-30 minute video, but uh, it's basically a rundown of all 16 of their games and what I think of them, what I you know love or hate and whether they're good for a tournament and whether I would play them in a tournament. So yeah, it should be an interesting little video. But of course, I also want to get some top 10 collaborations on route of contacted uh, Cardboard Champions or Sam Healy, uh, All Aboard Gamer. So yeah, there's definitely some of that on the horizon. So yeah, all cool. Let's get on with the show because I got a bit of a headache caused by this particular game I want to talk about. Voidfall. Um, Voidfall. Yeah. Do, 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 do. <laughs> Voidfall is a game that's just starting to fulfill on Kickstarter. People in the UK have had their copies for a little while. I've only just got mine. And I spent a good degree of Saturday morning unboxing the thing, which took me a good two to three hours to unbox and set everything up and sleeve it and all that. And I then played the tutorial yesterday as well, which took me multiple hours. And today I am banging through a bunch of solo games, of which I've already played a few so far. I got up early this morning and just tried to build out some solo games, which has taken me most of the day leading up to this podcast. Yeah, um, well, Voidfall is certainly getting a lot of buzz. You know, a lot of people are talking very highly over this game. And, you know, people are wondering, you know, am I going to review this game? Well, the intention is to review it, but I can only review part of it. Voidfall is an extremely heavy, extremely long game. This is a 4.5 free weight on BGG. That is not a lie. This game is what I would put into what's called the super heavy category, which is what I reserve for games that go one step beyond heavy games and are just designed for a very niche audience. Voidfall is one of those games. It says 90 to 240 minutes on the box. I'm not convinced I will ever be able to play a solo game of this in 90 minutes. It's just too long it you know this game sucks up a good couple of hours of my time two two and a half hours per game just to try and play a solo mode and that's partially because it's a long game but also partially because there are so many micro rules and iconography in this game that it's a chore to learn it you know i can't remember the rules from one game to the next because there's just so many edge cases you need to be aware of and because the game is basically iconography smorgasbord it's difficult to know what you're doing in each particular bit because the iconography is not intuitive enough. But then on top of that, you've got like three or four main books to look at. A rule book, a glossary, a scenario set up with tutorial rules and stuff like that, and a iconography chart, you know, iconography booklet. You need to have all of those to hand to play each game. And then there's the setup. The setup takes a good 30 minutes minimum if you know what you're doing. But honestly, the setup can take me longer than that to do. Uh, you know, you've got to set up boards and cards and the map scenario and your particular your particular house with its cards. And then you've got to select which technologies are in the game. That's based on shuffling another deck and looking at those. And then from those, you have to then say, right, well, these techs, I'm going to only have the top point scoring card. And these will only have the bottom. And then I need to make the crisis decks. Get the crisis board. Right, what difficulty do I want? Easy, medium, hard. Right, I'm going to select that one. That means I need to get these crisis cards shuffled. I need to get these alert cards there. Right, uh, what else do I need? I need these... Uh, heroic focus cards okay great i need to select uh, which origin i'm going to do i need to have all the stuff on the board and then i need to set up the map with all the different elements oh my god the setup for this is an absolute pain it's so painful i mean these pictures i'm showing you right now do not do the game justice in terms of how much setup and how much complexity it is i mean look at this this is um I think this is a free four-player game, I think, or perhaps it's only a free-player game. I can't quite tell. Is that a player board at the top? 
That is not a player board. That is the Galactic board. So this looks like a free player setup. Possibly four, I don't know. But this game is a table hog. I honestly, I am struggling to fit a solo game of this on the inset of my table. My table is not small. It's smaller than the one I had previously, but it is not small. It is a decent sized table and I can barely fit this game solo on it. It's a massive table hog. And competitive with four players? Oh my word. I mean, the game cafe is going to have a field day trying to fit this on the table and see what's going on. There's a lot, and it sounds like I'm really badgering the game. Not entirely, because when you get past this giant hurdle of, oh my god, this game is just way too complex for its own good, the gameplay is fun. I've had good times playing the solo modes that I've been doing. I have not played this competitively yet, and I don't know if I'll ever get a chance to play it competitively, because frankly, I think the, the prospect of teaching this game to other people just fills me with dread. So this probably will just be a solo game. And on that basis, okay, cool. So I have to learn another 25% extra rules in order to play it solo, because you need to have the crisis board and all this nonsense. But the the other aspect is just, oh my word. I mean, the, the card play itself is good fun. I like playing the cards and deciding, right, I, get, I can only do two or three of these actions. So I need to decide which, but there's ways to do all three if you've got trade tokens. Okay, cool. I like the fact that I can only do these cards once each round. I like the fact that there's the heroic versions that you can do if they match what you have. I like the movement around the board. I like the like shooting down other like Voidborn ships. I like the technologies. That's really cool. I like the variety in this game. There's a lot of variety with the house factions and you know the ways that you can play the game strategy-wise. It's definitely a thinky puzzle. But there are some aspects I don't think work as well. Um, I think that the whole corruption mechanic in this is kind of wasted because frankly it doesn't really come into play much you know corruption is something that can go onto certain aspects of your board and house mat and when they're on there they either clog things up or say that you can't get bonuses from this etc but you don't actually gain that much corruption in the game and there are ways to dissipate it from your normal cards there's even a technology that lets you store another two of it so honestly, there isn't a lot that the corruption does to hinder your progress. I mean, it might be like, oh, you've got three civilization tracks to move across, but if one of them's corrupted, you won't get the bonus when it moves. Well, okay, great. I'm focusing on this one the whole game, so what do I care? I'll just put it on the ones that I'm not doing. Great, that's two easy spots for corruption storage. I've never had corruption cause me any issues other than the fact that a sector on the map might not be pure, free of corruption and therefore it doesn't count for a certain card i play that's the only time corruption's ever had a, f uh, a problem with me other than that i might as well ignore the mechanic even exists and yet a lot of the game is based around it so therefore you need to deal with it it as in like rules wise for it but i reckon you could have cut the corruption mechanic out of the game entirely and barely lost anything on top of that the whole crisis card thing i mean you've got to flip these crisis cards every turn and then you've got to deal with them they shuffle along they get worse and worse if you leave them be and they hinder your progress being able to say right well i want to do this and this and this but the crisis cards are kind of telling me that i need to do this this and this otherwise i'm just going to get absolutely steamrolled it would have been nice if there was maybe like one for the round or one every so often or something but one every turn it just gets fiddly and i had to rewind my sec i had to completely trash my first solo game of this proper after the tutorial because i didn't realize the crisis cards were meant to be flipped one per turn i thought it was one per round at first and i couldn't rewind the game so i had to trash the game and set it up again which is an absolute chore because you can't normally you think oh well i'll just leave the game set up on my table and therefore when i switch from game to game it won't take that long doesn't work in this because you've got to extract specific cards and set up based on difficulties and, and based on your map and based on the, the off faction cards you do for the text. So you have to do a ton of setup even though the game is already out on the table. It's not just a simple like, it's not like Spirit Island where you can simply just, you know, sweep the board, put your like presence things, presence discs back on your board and then just go again. 
You know, you can't do that. You can set up Spirit Island and Sentinels in the Multiverse in next to no time at all, and you can sweep the board and reset in no time at all. This one takes as long as a typical game to set up every time you change, and that's when the thing's on the table. If it's not on the table and you're going to get out of that galactic box, oh, believe me, this is going to take you some time. So... The intention is I will review this game, but I think I'm only going to review it from a solo perspective because it's the only time I'll be able to review the game from game from enough plays. I haven't played it competitively and I just don't think I'm ever going to get a chance to play this four or five times competitively. It's just not going to happen. The group you need in order to play this is such a niche group. You need to have the same ideally two other players, three potentially, but two ideally because I think three players as high as you would ever want to go and you need those players to be die-hard, heavy, super-heavy Euro gamers who are going to play this regularly and never you know, venture off. And this is quite interesting because I've got metal trade tokens here on this picture, but these other tokens, were they separate? Did you have to buy these separately? Because I don't have these metal ones. I don't know. Frankly, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's all a waste of money. I, they must have been add-ons. If they were add-ons, then I probably didn't buy them because, frankly, most metal components other than coins are a waste of money. But the i digress so i don't think i'll ever get this game played enough competitively to give it a full review on that front but i uh with the games i'm playing today there will be a review of this in solo mode so i will do a solo only review of this game will it be a quick draw one probably not i think this will have to be a full detailed review format but focusing only on solo play because frankly if you enjoy this solo, you're going to enjoy it competitively. And if you don't enjoy it solo, you're probably not going to enjoy it competitively. So you honestly are going to need to, you know, you're going to have to like one or the other. I can't see people loving the solo game and hating the competitive and vice versa. So I think it's enough detail for me. But yep, that's on the cards. So far, my plays have been positive in terms of the gameplay but the smorgasbord of iconography, the rules-heavy teach, the, the, the setup in the box, which is not great. I mean, you've got these little tray things, these tray things here, which are absolutely useless. I mean, they basically are meant to hold the individual bits for each house in there. And that includes focus cards, tech cards, and everything. I mean, it looks nice and neat. But when you set up the game, you have to look through all of these cases in order to find the specific ones you need because there's no frame of reference as to which faction has what text and no labeling on these things, which means that this is an absolute chore. This actually adds an extra 10, 15 minutes to the setup time because of how poorly designed it is. So, yeah, it's stuff like that with the setup and the rules teach and the fact that there is no way that you'll be able to play this game, you know, and put it down. I mean, you need to have this as a lifestyle game. This needs to be like the only game you play from Euro games for months on end. Because if I was to put this down and then go back to it two months later, I would forget all the rules. And then I'd have to relearn it all again. And I don't see that the, the hurdles you have to jump to get this to the table are worth it unless you have the perfect setup and too much time on your hands or you're just a bit of a sadist, frankly, and you want to put yourself through rules-learning hell in order to get this game played. But it's it's going to be a weird one to review. I like the gameplay, I just don't like the faff that comes with it. Perseverance and On Mars had the same problem. Both of them were decent enough games, although I would argue that Perseverance had more problems than, than Voidfall and uh, On Mars. I think I prefer On Mars to Perseverance. But they were both such impractical games to get to the table in terms of rules and complexity that I had no interest in hanging on to them. And I had to rate the games lower because of it. Because, you know, a game that is so niche that it's only going to appeal to like 10 people or people in very specific scenarios is not a perfect game for me. It just isn't. So we'll, we'll get to this one eventually. Uh, it probably won't take me too long before I can actually record the review to this one because of the amount of solo games I'm going to be playing today and probably a bit... Uh, I'll probably get to play some on Tuesday evening. As well. No, no, Tuesday evening I'll be able to play some more. So, you know, by that point I should have played enough solo games to get the game reviewed from that perspective and I will do one. Just bear in mind that it's not going to be a 10 out of 10, guys, okay? So everybody who is a... Uh, Mind Clash or Turksy fanboy, you're going to have to deal with the fact that there may be some criticism involved. Alrighty, 
while on the subject, before I go to my discussion topic for the day, um, there are, I have been asked uh, by some people as to whether I'm going to review certain games, and I figured, uh, because I don't have any board game news, frankly, because let's face it, there hasn't been any decent news lately, um, I thought I might just mention a few things, because I'm seeing some creators put out stuff for this, and people have asked, well, Luke, are you doing it as well? The answer is no, but I should probably let you know, well, for the most part it's no, but I should let you know why. So first up, let's have a look at, uh, uh, let's see, Lost Ruins of Arnak, specifically the new expansion, The Missing Expedition. This is an auto-buy for me. I love Lost Ruins of Arnak. I obviously want more leaders. I want the solo campaign. I think that's going to be great fun for me. Because I don't really play Lost Ruins of Arnak solo, but something like this, a campaign, might just bring it back to the table for solo play, because I tend to play it mostly competitive. But more cards, more stuff, I mean, there is no reason I shouldn't like this expansion. Now, I don't know if this warrants a review on Beyond the Base game, because frankly, if you like Lost Ruins of Arnak, you're going to like this expansion. The only thing that people are going to want to know more about, really, is the solo campaign in it. And even then, I'm going to play it solo, not two-player. So I'm literally only reviewing this from a solo perspective for a single mode. I feel like if you've played Lost Ruins of Arnak enough, you already know if you're going to like this expansion or not. So it doesn't really sound like it's something that I should be that like worried about but then also i don't have a review copy of this some people already have i mean check games editions uh, it varies as to whether i get review copies from them sometimes i do sometimes i don't and they tend to be very good at getting stuff to uh, uh scandinavia and other places in europe although that might also just be asmodee north asmodee um uh, what's it called nordic asmodee nordic seem to be very good at getting review copies out Whereas Asmodee in the UK aren't very good at getting review copies out. So, you know, some people in Europe do have a bit more of an advantage. But honestly, I'm going to like this expansion and I'm probably going to buy it just for the extra stuff and the extra boards. Is the campaign going to wow me? I hope it does, but I'm still probably going to enjoy the expansion. So I just don't see that this needs a major Beyond the Base game review, but... The main thing is, is that I don't have a copy of it, so I have no way to find out. So that's the main reason for that. On a similar note, uh, well, actually, no, there is a bit of a difference with this one. Revive Call of the Abyss. Anybody who is a Revive fan is obviously frothing at the mouth waiting for this expansion to one of the more buzzed about games of uh, the previous year. Although I gave it a 6 out of 10. And deservedly so. This game is fine, it's fun, and I still have it on my shelf for the moment, although there's a good chance I'll probably be selling it at some point, because 6 out of 10s do not deserve a place on my shelf. The game has its good points, but it's still got a lot of problems, a lot of problems that people just refuse to admit on their videos. But, the expansion Call of the Abyss, people have asked if I'm going to review this one. To be honest, from what I am reading of this expansion, where it's, you know, it adds a bunch of extra cards. Okay, great. So we've got a few more of those. You'll get some more tribes. You'll get some more machine tokens, some more modules and stuff like that. Uh, it mainly just looks like it's more of the same, really. I mean, there are a... There is one new mechanic with these Skithoth cards or whatever. I mean... You've, you've named the cards after something that you can't pronounce. Bearing in mind this game has no theme whatsoever. You know, if you're going to make a name that's impossible to pronounce, then at least make it about a theme that means something. You know, here the, in Revive, the, me, the theme means nothing. And if you believe this game has a theme, you are lying with your back teeth. But the question is, would I review this? Well, the question on that is, A, am I going to have Revive by the time this comes out? Which I think is Essen time. And secondly, I tried to get stuff from a portal last year, um, review copy-wise. I tried to get Revive and some other stuff. But I tried three times and basically got ghosted every single time. Um, so I haven't even asked on this occasion. And a porter do send to send their stuff, again, mainly to Scandinavia and the rest, and sort of um, Eastern Europe. Um, so it's not like the UK ever really gets any stuff from a porter in terms of review copies anyway. But... I don't see this changing my opinion of the base game. I mean, this one new mechanic is not going to suddenly bring it from a 6 out of 10 to a 10 out of 10. More content... The game already has enough content in it anyway. I mean, adding more content is great if you love the game, but 
it's not going to suddenly make me love the game now. It doesn't fix elements that I... It doesn't fix the problems I have with the base game. Therefore, it's not going to suddenly make it brilliant. But if you love the game, then naturally this is going to be an auto-buy for you, much like the Lost Ruins of Arnak one is for me. So me reporting on it doesn't really add much. And honestly, I don't think reviews of this game add much either. I mean, the game literally is one new module and and a bunch of the same. That's it. I mean, do you really need somebody to tell you that you're going to like this expansion if you already like the game? It's not really adding... It, I mean, talk about... It's, is it talking to you... I mean, stating the obvious, yeah, it is Captain Obvious, basically, to say that this is like, oh, this is a great expansion if you already like the base game. It's not really adding much. But, ah, well, you know, more content for a game if you like it is always good. But, you know, a porter of the last time I got a review copy from a porter was The Magnificent, which I think I grabbed at a previous Essen. I gave it a 5 out of 10 and haven't had anything since. So, Go figure. <laughs> Alright, fine. Such is the way when you're critical. Okay, fine. Uh, let's have another... And also, thirdly, Age of Innovation. I have seen this go to a few people again. Scandinavia and Western Europe. I mean, it, was it Western or Eastern Europe? Yeah, but I must admit, it does seem... Maybe I just need to move to Scandinavia. I don't know. Asmodee Nordic seem to be very, very good at getting stuff out to creators. Whereas Asmodee UK just don't seem to get anything. Either that, or we just don't get a lot of stuff in the UK, period. I, know. I mean, we are, I'll admit, in the UK, we are at a disadvantage in terms of uh, getting the hot new releases because, thanks to Brexit, it's impossible to get stuff into our country quickly, and it's super expensive, which means a lot of publishers don't want to send stuff to the UK. That is assuming that they don't want to send stuff to a creator because they're critical of their games. But Age of Innovation from Capstone and Furland Spiel... A Terra Mystica game. I've had no interest in this, frankly, and I think uh, Capstone probably knows that I... Well, I liked Terra Mystica for a while, but then I got bored with it, and then Gaia Project didn't really resurrect it for me, so the fact that this is just basically Terra Mystica, what, 2.5 at this point, or 1.75? I don't know. The fact that it's just basically a copy of their previous game doesn't exactly wow me to death i mean you look at that and i honestly looked at that from people's plays and i thought it was the original terra mystica because it looks exactly the ruddy same it's just had a paint job you know i actually thought this was just a deluxified version like a reprint of terra mystica until somebody showed me the cover of the box that's how identical it looks i mean look you've got the pieces on the board that you take off and you have to do in tier systems you've got the terrain wheel you've got the stupid purple disc power mechanic which i always thought was a bit of a stupid thing in the previous game you know you've got the four generic tracks to level up this game will be themeless as all get out you've got the different factions the game just looks identical to terra mystica so you know if if you say that you love this game if you already like the previous games then doy captain obvious i mean what is gonna be i can't imagine anybody playing this game and going this is garbage if they like the previous games you know you really need somebody to review this coming in blind like they've never played Terra Mystica and they've never played Gaia Project they come into this one blind try and look at their reviews because I think they will be the most important even I can't really review this and give a a proper saying because I've already played the other two games and I think they are above average at very best uh, maybe average by now but uh, I don't know six out of ten maybe they are a bit mean and they are a bit long I do wish they weren't dry as a bone and they're not very balanced uh, 6 out of 10 would be the best I could give them, maybe 5, but, you know, I'm not a massive fan of the two games. So, I'm not expecting to suddenly play this one and go, oh yeah, 10 out of 10. So, what value am I going to add from reviewing it? But then the, the flip side is that if somebody who rates the other two games 10 out of 10, what use is it if they review this one? Because, frankly, you know they're just going to love this one anyway. It's, you know, it's not like it's going to add commercial value to the consumer to... You know, it's not going to add anything useful information-wise. So really, if there's anybody out there who's reviewing this game who's never played Gaia Project and Terra Mystica, you might want to get in on trying to get a copy of this because I think your videos are going to be the ones that I'm interested in watching and I think the ones that consumers should probably be interested in watching as well. But, you know, Capstone has never sent me a review copy of anything in the past despite the fact that I have praised Ark Nova until the cows come home. But then they also know that I think that Imperial Steam is a crock of crap. 
and I would like to say bigger swear words than that, but I'm trying to keep it relatively family friendly. Believe me, I have many swear words to say about uh, Imperial Steam, which is one of their games, and I didn't particularly like Coffee Trader either, so yeah, getting something from this slot is unlikely. So all I'm saying with these three games is that these aren't ones I've got review copies of. Two of these games I don't think I've got an interest in acquiring or wouldn't provide much use to you if I did review them. Lost Ruins of Arnak is probably the one exception to that. So if I do get it soon enough, I might do a beyond the base game review for the solo campaign. But I'm probably going to get this the same time as everybody else, which is probably late August or early September by the time it comes out in the UK. And by that point, everybody who wants it has already got it. So I'd probably just be a bit too late to the party. But I'm not interested in Age of Innovation. You know, you've basically just copied the same game you did before and tweaked some rules in it, whatever. And Revive Call of the Abyss. If it's not fixing the problems I have with the base game, go check out the review I've done for that. Um, I think more people need to check out that review, actually. It's not been as popular as I would have hoped. But yeah, if it doesn't fix the problems I have with the base game, then it's not going to suddenly make me want to play it. So that's just my explanation for those three. Alrighty, let's talk about the uh, sort of hopefully brief topic of the day. Why am I looking at Barcelona here? Well, this is a bit of a fun topic, really, because I've had some fun arguments with uh, some creators and some consumers and that, both positive and negative in the sense of, oh, you agree with me or you disagree. And I've had some people flip their lids like crazy over this topic, which is kind of funny in itself because it's such a, a minor topic to talk about. But I figured just because it has caused this kind of, not controversy, but this kind of like hoo-ha with people I know, I'm going to explain a few things. In a couple of videos in the past, particularly this Barcelona review I did recently, I talk about the concept of inflated scores when it comes to point salads. So check out my review for Barcelona, but basically it is a giant point salad. The theme is technically there, but you couldn't care less about it after five seconds. The designer has done his utmost to make it thematically, historically accurate. Like the buildings were designed like this. This is what the street looks like. This is the sort of things you do. But by the time you play your first turn of this point salad, you will not care because the theme is still dry as a bone. It's not interesting. And the mechanics you do in this game are so mechanical that you just forget that there is a theme. I mean, honestly, I'm playing this game and if you took the box away with me for more than 10 minutes, I would forget that this was even about Barcelona. There's just nothing there to make me remember it's a Barcelona game. This is point salad, the game. Now, that being said, I still liked it. Didn't love it, but I liked it. But by all means, check out the review for more details. But I make a point about the inflated scoring because this as a point salad means that you score a lot of points in this game like a lot. Even in a four-player game, if you are not getting at least 200 points in this game, you're doing something wrong. This is a game where, with less players, you'll even score more points. But the, the you know, your score marker that you flip over for your, for your like, player board has a 400 point value on it. That is suggesting that you can basically get 500 points in this game without having component issues. Because you could technically get the 400 flipped and then get another 100 points. But you will get 200 plus points without even breaking a sweat. If you know what you're doing, you should be getting closer to the 300 mark, possibly even beyond. This game has a lot of points where everything just gets you points. This gets you points. This gets you two points for that. Three points for this. One point for that. Two points for that. Ten points for that. Six points for that. And I like point salads up to, well, no pun intended, a point. But games like this do irk me with the inflated score system, and I would much rather they weren't like this. But some people are like, what does it matter? It's a point score, who cares? Well, let me try to explain here. It's Some people have already clocked onto this when they've commented, when I've mentioned it on the review and stuff. They mention it on YouTube and on Facebook. But with point scoring, when you play a game and you score points, do you feel good about it? Do you go, yay, I got five points for that, that was really cool? Well, if in the game you barely score 60 to 75 points by the time the game finishes, five points is quite a significant proportion of what you're doing. But if you score five points in a game where you normally score 300 plus, do you really care 
at that stage. And that's for a good turn. Getting one point from here, two points from there. If it's less than 1% of your total score, then who the hell cares? And this game, along with a lot of other point salads, has this problem where you can feel like your turns are meaningless. Like, I did this stuff and it got me points. But it didn't feel interesting. I didn't feel like I gained much from it. Lacerda games do a good job of giving you bonuses while you do stuff rather than a bunch of points and those feel satisfying. But also Lacerda games tend to cap it around the 100 to 125 point mark with most people's final scores. So this isn't, so those games are at a good level for point scoring but 300, 400, even Stone Age as a light game has a ton of points involved with what you do and games like Potoku and a few other light ones and some and basically just any of these city-based point salad euros which let's face it they all blend together by now they all just feel the same to me I do I do something on a turn I get a bunch of points somebody else gets a bunch of points and I never feel like I'm doing anything meaningful it just feels arbitrary it feels dry you know you know not it doesn't make fill me with joy i don't get that sense of achievement from doing something like yay i moved this counter up to here this get me another six points yay great i guess i mean in barcelona you get your points up to a certain stage and then at the end of the game you just catapult miles into the in, ahead anyway because of your end game modernization tiles that you see here so you never truly feel like you know like who's likely to win apart from if somebody's really miles ahead but then even then you don't even know where you're going to end up on points because there's just so many of them that they're just given to you i mean i mean take this little metaphor if somebody gave you a let's say somebody gave me a pack of skittles i like skittles you know taste the rainbow love skittle fruits okay so somebody gives me a bag of skittles well oh, cheers i like skittles hmm i eat them great ah i finished I wish there was a few more, but you know what? I've had my fill. I enjoyed that bag of Skittles. Somebody then gives me a jumbo bag of Skittles. Okay, fine. Whew, I'm eating this. I'm going to have to burn a few calories at the gym later, but you know what? I've still enjoyed it. This was a treat. This was my cheat day. Fine, I've enjoyed this nice big bag of Skittles. Now have a scenario where somebody just keeps drip feeding you Skittles. Like your, your head is underneath one of those dispensers at the shop or something, or somebody is literally just drip feeding you Skittles, like no bags or anything. You know, you're just going, oh, these Skittles are nice. What more? Uh, more. Uh, okay, hang on a minute. I don't, I, I don't need more. I, I, you know, it's somebody, you know, you eat a slice of cake at a, at a party and because they don't want to bag up the cake, somebody just comes along and dishes you another slice of cake. Did you want the slice of cake or are you a bit full up at this point? You know, do you feel like, I really shouldn't eat two of these. This is a little bit much. It's the same with these points. These points are basically like bags of Skittles. You know, you're getting them all the time and you just don't feel that good about getting them as you would if you only had a few of them and you knew you weren't going to get like endless amounts of them. It's a weird analogy, but, you know, it, it's kind of how it works. So I honestly do find it, it's not something that brings the rating down that much for a game for me. It barely would, if at all, make any difference. But I do have to say that if I see a game with inflated point scores, I mean, a 400 point marker is ridiculous, then one criticism I will have of the game is that if your turns don't feel, you know, if they feel meaningless, then that's a downer on the gameplay. It doesn't make me enjoy the game as much. So, okay, let's take the other extreme. And I know which game I'm going to use as my example here because a bunch of you are, you know, definitely uh, cheering at the most. Hey, we've got a game called Dune Imperium. We only go up to 10 victory points, which means we're the best, right? Uh, not quite, because you do have another problem when you hit the low extreme. When you have only a few victory points, like in this game you go up to 10, 12 in a long game... The game then becomes subject to more swings of luck. And a swing of points in a game where you barely have to get something like 10, 20 points is a massive deal. You know, it, you, there are cards in the Intrigue deck that get you victory points. And there's like three of them in the entire Intrigue deck if you're not playing with expansions. And even when you play with expansions, not that many more. But if you get hold of those and you just happen to have the criteria, like you just luckily got those extra points... That makes a colossal difference and can basically win you the game. There are, even in the expansion, there's some, 
uh how was it there's like a you win tiebreakers uh tile on there it might just come up at the last minute you grab it the game ends and suddenly you won on a tie yeah there's a lot of ways that you can get a swing of luck in Dune Imperium, particularly with the fact that as you play the game, the game is based a lot on luck anyway. You're playing a deck builder where you don't have a lot of flexibility to tweak your deck, which means that if you have turns that don't give you the cards you need, then you're really suffering because you're not getting any victory points and the victory points in this are so tight. So, you know, you have the opposite problem in Dune Imperium. But another example that's just come to my mind literally just now, Cooper Island. Uh, Cooper Island, is this a Capstone game one as well? Uh, this was Frosted Games and Capstone Games. I think I gave Cooper Island a 6 out of 10. Uh, that might explain a few things, but okay, fine. But Cooper Island is another one of these low-scoring games. So it's super tight, pretty heavy. Uh, you know, tight worker placement with a few actions like map building and that. And the game is fine. I just wish it wasn't didn't have so many micro rules and wasn't such a chore to learn and lo long to play. But this doesn't have you get many points either. I mean, you might win the game with barely 15 to 20 points, but every point means something. And the problem is, is that if somebody blocks you on one turn at a time you don't want to be blocked, they might not necessarily be trying to block you. It might just happen by chance. The swing of what happens as a result of that is so catastrophic in this game that you can literally just be taken out of the game because somebody blocked you on one turn. It's that tight. This is one of the tightest Euro games I've ever played, and it's a detriment to the game for me. So, you know, the lower point scores can have a problem. So where's the happy medium? Well, I find that a happy medium tends to be around 100 to 150 point mark, particularly 100 points, uh, somewhere around that region. And Lacerda games tend to do that. Like uh, at Handicon, I played uh, Vinyos, and Vinyos uh, Deluxe Edition, and I think three of us played it. I think I finished on something like 130, 140 points. I did pretty well. I did win the game, and but then... When you're getting points in Vinyos, every time you're getting like, oh, I got six points for that, I got nine points for this, you know, five points for that, it feels like you earned it and it feels more, you get a bigger sense of achievement from it. Kanban is similar. You might finish that game with barely 100 points, but that means that every time you gain points for an action, like, you know, when you play something like Barcelona, if you get two choices between get resources or get victory points, Almost all of the time, it's better to get resources because the resources can be used to do stuff, whereas two points, who cares? You're getting 300 plus. And, but when you do it in Kanban or something like Gallerist, where points are generally quite low, you know, by comparison, the choice of getting points or bonus resource of some kind is a lot harder to dictate. You know, it's not quite an easy decision and there are reasons to go both ways. But... You know, I have this thing with that. Uh, Cascadia, uh, another game, quite light, uh, but, you know, you build your little map and, you know, and you score based on the animal cards. Most of the time, you will finish this game with somewhere between 90 to 110 points. If you've done really well, you'll get more than 110, but that's not an easy score to get. And if you've done pretty badly, you'll get less than 90. But that's a 20-point bracket where you tend to finish off. But... I've had tiebreakers for this, I've had really close games, and the scores end up at about 100. So if you know that you're getting three points for something, or you know that you could get the uh, the three point bonus for winning terrain types, it feels more important to do that. Especially when you look at the animal cards. It's like, right, you know, if I could get this last bear and stick it in this bit, that's going to get me 10 points. That's 10% of my score I could really do with getting that bear. So that becomes a priority. And so when you do finally get that extra bear token, you you know, you, you know, you realize, wow, that was so useful to get that. That was worth doing, and I've achieved what I wanted to achieve. So it's not like it's a fixed set in stone, like, oh, it must be this amount of points. Um, you know, Whistle Mountain tends to get you between 100 and 150 points, and I think that's pretty good. Uh, but, you know, somewhere between 50 to 100 will still be a decent point score. You know, you can, uh, you know, well, I mean, Isle of Trains, Isle of Trains doesn't give you much in the way of uh, points. You don't tend to finish with a high score, but then it's not a point salad game, and it's also quite tight in what points it gives you. Uh, so, you know, having a game where 
it, you, you have to obviously balance the points you gain with the points you'll end up with. Like, there's no point having a 50-point game, but then two times during the game do you get any points and you get something like 25 at the time. You want to be getting drip-fed some points, just not loads at once, because otherwise go back to that swing argument. But all the trains, I think, has a pretty good score usually, where you're getting somewhere between 30 and 50 on a good day, and that seems like a good amount for it. But then there are games that get you between 50 to 100, and I think they do quite well, you know, emphasizing the fact that when you get points, it means something to get those points. My problem with point salads, though, is that it just feels totally meaningless. Now, I know what some of you are going to say. You're going to say, Luke, there are games you do like that have these ridiculous inflated points, so why do they get a free pass? Well, one of them doesn't get a free pass. It's still a criticism of the game, even though I love it to bits. The other one I will explain. First off, the one that I do not give a free pass, 2849 Pulsar, whatever, 20, Pulsar 2849. I, oh, I didn't even find it, Pulsar 2849, where are you? There you go. I love this point salad game. It's streamlined, it's mid-weight, it looks cool with all this neon stuff on the board, there's a lot of different paths to victory, lots of variety with the text. I love this game. I give it like a 10 out of 10. I, I think it's one of my favorite point salads. But... I'm not going to ignore the fact that the points in this are somewhat inflated. I mean, this board that you go around here for the points track, you can easily get something like 200 plus points with this game. I mean, you get less points in this than you will in, uh, say, uh, in Barcelona. So in, in some ways, it's not as much an inflated problem as Barcelona is. But yeah, you are getting a lot of points. I mean, five points for this, six points for that, seven points for this. And you can easily end up with a score of 100, maybe even 150, 200. You know, you can get to that stage and possibly even further if you've done really, really well. And so, yeah, this one has inflated point scores. The turns can sometimes feel like, well, I got five points for this, whatever. It's a criticism of the game, but everything else about it is so good. And that criticism isn't, like I say, inflated scores are a little bit of a pain, but they don't usually drop the game an entire rating point for it alone. And so the fact that I like a lot of other stuff with Pulsar means that I can I can forgive, or well, not forgive, I can, I can deal with that flaw because everything else is such a good you know, amalgamation you know if a game was bad then something like this would stand out more but because this game is so much fun for me that issue with the point scoring doesn't really cause me much of an issue now the one that you are definitely going to get on my case for is earth earth well uh yeah if you are doing half decent at the game you will be scoring 200 to 300 points it's even possible to score more than 300 so why does earth get a free pass well let me explain Games like Barcelona, Pulsar 2849, and you know those other point salads and stuff like that, they have point tracks. You can see the points escalating as the game goes on. You see how meaningless your points are because you watch them progress on the track and it doesn't feel like you've, like, it, you don't feel good about the fact that you've progressed up the track. It also means that you have some idea of who's likely to win the game. You could possibly call the game ahead of time. You know, it has those issues. Earth doesn't have a points track. There is no points track in Earth. You don't know your points until the end of the game. You will see that you will gain points for some stuff. Like you know when you place a card down, it's worth nine points. You know when you play an event, it's worth minus two. You know that when you put compost in your deck, it's worth a point each. Same with wingspan for eggs and stuff like that. But you know, I mean, wingspan, well, wingspan has lowest score, so I won't include that. But Earth, you know, yes, you get points for just about everything in this game, but because you can't track it easily, I mean, you're not going to count up your entire score as you play the game, and certainly not everybody else's. So because you don't know what everybody's score progression is until the end, the tension of whether you will win or not is still there while the scores are being totaled up, and you don't know if it's going to be close or far or whatever. If you were tracking Earth's score on a points track you would diminish a lot of that endgame tension. I like games more when you don't track the points for the most part. I mean, it's good to track maybe some points. Like, you can earn some points during the game, but I would still like for a lot of hidden scoring to appear at the end because that tension remains. Earth has that hidden tension. You know, yes, you can see that some people will get maybe 30 points, 40 points, 57, whatever, on 
you know, this particular, like the Fauna tracks, for example, with those milestones, but you don't know how well they're doing on the terrain cards, or necessarily if they've got enough trees and how much their trees are worth, or how many points their cards are worth, you know, or how much compost they've got. You can see there's a pile of cards, but just how many is in there, you know, and how much was their climate and island worth? How well have they done in the ecosystems? You don't necessarily know, and so... Earth retains the end-of-game scoring tension. Games like Barcelona, and I can't remember if Botoku had a points track, but, you know, I'm not too... It must have a points track. I can't imagine it didn't, but I don't know. I'm referring to Barcelona as my example here. You know, having a points track does diminish some of that tension, and in a points-salad game, it just exacerbates the problem and makes it worse. So, yeah, if you have low low point scoring you run the risk of luck swings or you know or stuff like that causing problems with the balance in your game see dune imperium and possibly cooper island but if you have inflated scoring with points tracks and you know too many points by the end of the game then the points you gain feel quite meaningless see barcelona to a lesser extent pulsar 2849 but also things like but i think Batoku. but there's a lot of point salad games out there where you just earn so many points it's unreal and they all have this problem so really happy medium is somewhere around 75 50 to 75 to 150 i think 50 to 150 is your range for points if you can make that what your your game is reaching towards i feel like the points are more worthwhile and it does depend on the weight of the game as well i mean a lacerda game that is heavy where you only get about 100 points every point feels earned and critical to what you need to do and so it's worth it uh but you know i mean i suppose voidfall that i'm playing at the moment i mean you know, you're trying to score usually a good 120, 130 points in that game. So the points do feel meaningful when you get it. But a lot of the points you get, uh, I mean, you get a decent amount of them, like at the end of the third round of scoring, as opposed to early on in the game. So I guess you do retain a bit of that tension. And there's no, I mean, you do have a points track. You basically just look at each other's uh, little dial thing here to see how much influence you've got. So I suppose, influ I suppose Voidfall gets it right. It's not really a point salad, and it has a fairly restricted point total. So I think Voidfall does the job right. But hopefully now you get an idea of why I'm not a fan of inflated scores. But I'd like to know your comments as well. Do you care if there's inflated scores in your game? Do you care um, if a point salad lets you track the scores? Do you actually prefer to know your score as you go through the game or at the end? You know, you know let me know your comments on that front. But anyway, that's it for me. It's quite hot in here. I've got stuff to do and I've still got a whopping great big headache from playing Voidfall day today. Trying to absorb all those rules. I mean, what is going to happen when I put this game away? I'm going to forget all these rules. It's just going to be such a pain. But that's the way it is. I'm suffering for you lot. So, uh, don't, you know, I'll, I'll be curious to see how many people even watch the review for Voidfall given how big a niche game it is. I mean, it's... Say what you want about it, it's a niche game. This is not for a big audience, you know, so I'd be very curious to see on that. I'm half worried that I'm going to put some criticism towards the game and all I'm going to get is blowback because the only people who would watch it are the ones who would love it in the first place. We shall see, but that's to come another time. Let me know your comments down below. That's it for me. And if you like this video, then please thumb it up on YouTube and just keep the, uh, you know, keep it shared out and let me know your thoughts. But until next time, I'm going to uh, sign off this uh, podcast for another couple of weeks. I'll let you know uh, as more content comes out on the channel. Until next time, remember, regardless of how high you want your point score to be at the end of the day, it's still only a game. So have fun and bye for now.